Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and Dale, if you want to get ready, if you want to come on up, yeah. Mr. Dale got a new knee. I know, right? (laughs) Thank God, right? He told me he was going to live a long time, so he needed a new knee. I said, sure, yeah, let's do it. You know, so praise God. I'm going to have Dale share his testimony, um, and I just want to read a passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to get out of your way. Do you need anything else? You don't need anything? And you're flipped on there? Oh, he say, okay, the signal. There's the signal, and we have power. Okay. All right, so I just want to read this passage of Scripture to you. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace we have been saved. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So I just read that in, uh, in, uh, remembrance, in, in a reminder to you that what you're going to hear in these testimonies is the riches of grace, the exceeding riches of grace being demonstrated in the generations to come. Because how many know Jesus died a few years ago, but yet he's work, he'll work and has worked through Dale, and through John, who's going to share in just a little bit. So would you welcome Dale with me and honor him as he shares the message here. Father, I just thank for this opportunity to share what you've done in my life, Father, and I just hope that if there's anyone here that hasn't accepted you in their life, that because of this testimony, that it'll lead you to you, or they'll accept you today, and I just ask this in Christ's name, amen. Kind of funny when I stand there and look out of the crowd, I see two people sitting out here in the audience that uh, many, many years ago, the Navigators had a uh, training session that we went to, uh, Chuck and, not Chuck, but uh, Wes and Judy Robbie uh, had a training session and Chuck and Shelley, they were sitting here today, were with us. That was the first time in my life that I actually sat down and wrote my testimony out and shared it with somebody. And in my life, since that time period, I probably shared my testimony on a one-to-one bit with people, probably, I, you know, I would be guessing, but 30, 40 times maybe in my life. But not, I think this is probably the second or the third time I've actually shared it uh, with a large number of people. Uh, so the thing of it is, when you do give your testimony, it's kind of tough to do, if it is it anyway for me, because you're talking about you, you, you all the time. And it's kind of like the Bible is that when you really read the Bible, it's not really about Isaiah or Jeremiah or Paul or anybody. It's about God. And it's the same thing with my, with, in my testimony, even though the circumstances, you end up relating and talking about what's happening to you. But I was born into a family of three boys and one daughter. And I was the oldest of three boys. My, my father was a Norwegian and my mother was uh, a German and uh, we were raised basically uh, Missouri Center, Missouri Senate Lutherans and if you knew anything about the Missouri Senate they're about as close uh, Catholic as you can get uh, and it was very stout what they, what, they, what they believed and so forth. My mother was the, per, uh, the pushing force in the family too and that my dad was a believer I found out later in life but my mother was the real 
pushing force in getting us kids to always be at church and we ended up going to like confirmation they have a confirmation class those people do that you go through for two years when you're 12 years old to your 14 uh, training you in the ways of God and so forth but basically what happened was is that in my in my life I, I was raised in a family like that and I basically ended up uh, graduating from high school I was I would say an average student a fairly good athlete I would which in some aspects was not good because what happens is you have a tendency of putting the area that you're strong in, you, you, you have a tendency to lean in that direction and that would catch up with me as I got later on in life. But what happened was is that my uh, folks were moving at the, when I was graduating from high school, they, they were moving to Eureka, Montana up in the northwest corner of the state and I, was, I didn't move up there, I stayed back here with them at that and moved in with a family of friends of mine that ended up being my, my wife's parents at the time, you know. But, but I didn't really have any expectations at that time. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and I, I was going to college down here and I was working at the refinery at night. And being a young man, you know, and the other things that young men do at that time in your life, I was running, I was pulling at all ends. And I got a phone call. I got off work out at the Exxon Refinery about 12.30 that night. Time I got home, I just got to bed. And I remember I got a phone call and my youngest brother had been killed up in Eureka. A drunk was driving along the road, I guess, in that afternoon. And my brother was walking with his girlfriend, holding her hand. And the car hit him and killed him and stuff. And it was... a it was a little tough for me to take that because we were, we were close, real close, because unlike today where you have a house and you all got bedrooms, in my area I didn't. <laughs> there were three boys, a washer and a dryer and a deep freeze. That's what's our bedroom. <laughs> but, but, but I struggled a little bit with that and stuff in, in life and finally, with everything going on, I just I, I quit school. And I knew what was going to happen because the war was going on. I got drafted and uh, went out to a basic training out in Fort Lewis, Washington. And uh, was out there and I did really well. Like I mentioned to you earlier, I had been fairly good athletic. And uh, I ended up uh, scoring the highest physical fitness test out of 2,000 men through the basic training. So I really was pumped. You know, I thought, man, I can, I can do this. I can do it. I can do it. Well, when... Uh, when I finished uh, the basic training session, finished, they ended up announcing our MOSs. And I remember standing out in that parade field on that company I was in. There was, they started reading the MOSs, what you, your duty assignment that you're going to have. And, my, and uh, there was four of us out of that 220 men out of that company, and there were 11 Bravos, and that was infantry. And I really didn't think I was worth much. I, did, I didn't. So, but I hung in there and I said, oh, I'll make it through. And I did. And then they, we had to, just went through that basic cycle that was uh, through Christmas. And what happened is that everyone that, because we, we didn't get to home for Christmas through basic, is that the, they said, yeah, you could go ahead. He said, and all you other guys, are going to, we're going to give you a furlough for a week to go home. But you, you 11 Bravos have got to go straight to Fort Polk, Louisiana, to Tigerland, because you're needed. So two hours after I graduated from basic, they stuck me on a plane and I dropped into Tigerland. 
And so when I got down at, in the Tigerland down there, the, was in the, the sign-in area down there, I heard these people run by, and they were hollering this word. I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. It's funny-looking words. It sounded like "eyut, eyut," and they had their rifles over their head and they steel pots on their head. And, and I looked at these guys and said, "What's with those guys?" And he said, "He said those are Domasheski's uh, soldiers." And he was a captain, and down there was training people in there. They said, "You don't want to get his company." Well, guess who I got? <laughs> yeah, I got his company. You know, you, so I, and basically what it was is that uh, it was advanced infantry training, but I can tell you what, what advanced infantry training is. They train you to do things that your heart's not involved with. They completely take that away. I mean, there was a point in my life that if it required it, I could do it. You just do it. You don't stop and think about it. And it's scary. But, but I ended up uh, finishing that, and they, they shipped me to... Uh, to Vietnam. I got assigned to the 2nd Cav 5th Battalion over there in, in, in the Central Highlands called On K. When I arrived there, they was there a day and a half and they shipped me back out to the field right away. And what I got, when I got out there, there's a company I got signed to was Charlie Company. They sent four guys out, what they call LPs, you know, and I'm new, I don't know what's going on. And these, these guys go out, they take a radio, and you'll, depending on the terrain that you're in and stuff, you may go 150, 200, 500, 600 yards out, and you just sit there at night, and if there's anything movement, if you just use a radio to click, 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 three of you sleep, one of you stay awake. Well, what happened was that that next morning, these guys, there was no radio signal, they couldn't make contact with them. So they sent, took me in, because I was new, and a couple other guys they sent that had been there quite a while, sent them out to the see what happened to these individuals out there. And of course, they, what happened is one of them went to sleep when it was his turn, and they came in and killed all of them and took all the gear. You know, I remember standing there looking over these bodies and stuff, and I thought, I can't even trust the people I'm with. You know, so, I, so what I ended up doing then, there was a, I didn't like one of walk point either, and that's where you, you move through the country or somebody I was on the far side. So what I did, I ended up carrying, I'm not that big a person, you can see I, I, was, a lot, I was quite pretty good shape and, and a lot heavier then, but I ended up volunteering to carry the, what they call the gun, the M60 machine gun, and carry the rounds of it so I wouldn't have to walk point. But that wasn't my main point. The main point was so I wouldn't have to go out on LPs because the gun always stayed back at the perimeter. I didn't want to have to walk out. And that's going to come into play how I came to know the Lord later on. What happened is, is that... We went out at the first, uh, barely, it wasn't within a week or so, I went out there, and I got involved, it was the first amphibious assault that hit the beach on, in, in, uh, off the South China Sea out there, and what took place was there was a village that they had to report that all these people were being supplied out of, and it was two company of us came in, and it was a big uh, ridge, a cliff that dropped into the ocean, and then a mountain top came back around and into a beach, and a big white sandy beach. And the, this company I was with, we went out, they picked us up in the middle of the night. And before they did that, though, what happened, something else happened I need to share with you, is that they have what they call hunter-killer missions that used to fly out at night on these beaches. And what happens was is that they had coordinates marked wherever we moved, when there's somebody's moving, that they knew that it was us. But if they don't have those coordinates, they open up on Well, what happened that night, and human nature being what it is, you have a tendency of not doing everything you're supposed to do. And what, and, and what happened that night is that we were right on the beach on the ocean. So I, 
we get lazy, we just pile sand up, set our guns up, you don't dig a hole deep down. Well, this mission came flying over the top of us and they didn't get the coordinates and our own people opened up on us. And I, it was something else because I mean, I literally had sand spitting in my face with bullets hitting around me over the top where I had piled it up. You know, and so I got up that, that morning and the miracle of God that happened that night too. They never, we popped flares, of course, and everything right away, but no one got hurt. So it was really a, was a blessing of God what had, had taken place there. But they picked us up that night and went on these U-boats and we went out back around and we hit this, where this village was and we dropped in. And because I was new, when we set the perimeter around it, we, the company that I was in, we went up to the mountain to the jungle on the beach and the, the others come in with choppers the, the night before and they tied. So we were literally probably from here to the back doors back here so we could see each other. I being new, I was stationed right on the water because I was new in country to help me. And when daylight came, of course, what happened was is that if there was anyone in that village, you're going to try to get away. Well, there was only one. And guess where he showed up? And I, I did something that I was trained to do, but it was not easy. I, I, and I'll be sure this with you. I've never been the same since. Never. When God says that David couldn't build a temple, I know why he couldn't. And the trouble of it is, is that I ended up, took care of it. I remember looking at the guy, and that's another thing. Us humans aren't what you call very we don't want to say forgiving or anything with people and stuff. And what happened was is that they made me go over and search him. And he was a young officer from the north is what he was. And I, and I prayed then. I hadn't accepted Christ at this time yet. Excuse me. And what happened was I prayed to God that I'd never see that face again. I don't want to. I didn't want, and I'll tell you, God answered that prayer. Even though I hadn't, I don't know. I, don't, I couldn't tell you what he looked like today. And so forth, but so time lapsed. I did a lot of different things, and and what ended up happening is we went back to uh, on K for Christmas. That was the big thing. Then when we got to pull back to the rear, we were out six to eight weeks at a time in the field all the time, and then we'd get a week back or something like that to an LZ protecting an LZ. When what happened was I went back there, and again I was carrying the gun, so I shouldn't have to go off the perimeter, and. They, they they decided I did. They I wasn't I was upset, really upset. So they I went out that night, and I'll never forget this because what happened was I when I went out that night to go to the perimeter, I got a hold of the artillery FO. That's a, what they call a forward observer. When you get hit, you call in artillery rounds, and he'll plot those rounds close as he can to you, so they can do that. So uh, they had me stationed because I was a senior. At that time, on, on going out on that uh, LP, what happened was, is I told them, I, they had me marked way up on the hill, and I was so mad, I didn't care. I said, I ain't going up there. There was a, a stable right across the bridge there, Bong Song, and I said, I'm going to be in that stable. It's where we're going to be tonight. It was Christmas Eve. It was 1967 on Christmas Eve. And I went ahead and took, we went out there, got across the bridge, went into that stable. And what took place that night was changed, completely changed my life. Uh, I was the second to, to be awake that night. I remember when the, I didn't sleep before then, but I was struggling with all that went through my life and where I was at and what, and what took place. I ended up 
took the second watch and never even woke the other two guys up. And I, I literally sat there and broke down. You know, I, I realized, I don't know how many of you ever seen the movie uh, Sniper? <laughs> There's a statement in there that's very, very true. Uh, the, the spotter and the shooter, the, the spotter never uh, killed anyone, never done anything like that before in his life. And he, and he said, then when it did happen, he looked at that guy and he says, at the shooter, and he says, you know, he said, there's a real rush, real excitement when that happens. He said, but afterwards, there's a lot of pain. And then the shooter looks at him and he says, and this is what I can relate to. There's, there's something worse. It's when you do it and do it, and you don't even feel it. And that's where I was at. I had done it, and just how I was. But I, I got through it that night, and I asked God to come into my life. I just completely broke down, and he did. He came into my life. And that got even a little bit more scary, because what you got to realize is I wasn't just driving a truck and supplier someplace. I was hunting people day in and day out. And when I go out, if my heart's involved with what I'm doing, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to get myself or somebody killed or whether you know. But then there's God, and when he comes into your life, he'll do things. It's unbelievable. I'm sorry. But it, what happened was there was two incidences after that, that, that where God really touched me and showed that he got a hold of me. One of them was that I, we had an area along the cliff of the coast there where there was a hospital. There was supposed to be a, a hospital up in that area for the north that, they, that housed a thousand wounded soldiers. And they pounded that ground all the time with artillery rounds trying to get into it. And uh, it was just a mess up in there. And we went up there. And, and we, again, being human, when you're, you're doing things, I don't care even if you're doing it with, in the, like this in a war or whatever, you, humanly speaking, you get relaxed. Take the easy thing to do. And it always costs you. It's repetitive. There's a trail going up this place. Take the same route that you always take. It's easy to go up in there. So we went on up in there. And... Uh, there was eight of us, and what happened was is that we, we walked into an ambush, and there was a point man. One of the reasons I didn't want to carry, go to walk on the point is because you're out front of that. You get caught in that stuff. Well, that's, that's the, so I didn't have to because I had the gun. I was back in with the eight guys. I was probably the fourth or fifth man back. And what happened was is that they cut our point man off, and he was pinned down in the, in the draw. And... I had to go, and now this is the bad part. I had to go up front. I had to bring the gun up to, to take care of it, so I took off and went up there. And I just responded. I'll be quite honest with you. It just, you just do. You're at that point. You just respond. You don't even stop to think what you're doing. And I moved up there to do that. And in the process, I got him out and stuff. But in the process, I got pinned. And the guys were gone. I was by myself. When I went in there, I had the gun and 400 rounds. And when I was done and trying to get out, if you've ever been in a triple canopy jungle, it's thick, you can't see nothing, you know. And I started running down through this draw, and when I got up on this hillside, and I was, I was separated, I didn't know where no one was at or what. And there was, uh, I looked down and I had five rounds left. I went in at 400 and I had five rounds left, you know. Uh, and I came walking up over this ridge up there, and I, and this is a part of the story that's really spooky to me. You wonder if it even really happened, if I'm just something in my mind. But I came walking up over a small ridge, and there was a guy laying there looking at me. And I could see he was a Vietnamese. And it looked like he had an AK-47. And he's looked at me, 
And I looked at him, and I mean, we were close, maybe from here to Sean. I was real close. I had to be even to see in there. And what happened is, is I did something that I've never done in my life up to that point. I didn't pull a trigger. He was looking at me, and I was looking at him. So what I ended up doing is I was on a really steep hillside. It was really steep. And, and as thick as that jungle is, if you move just a little ways one way or another, you can't see nothing. And I just fell over backwards. I remember rolling down a hill down there, and I got back to camp, and they, got, they were coming up with a company of people and to, to, to look for me and stuff, and I got out. But that was a major change there in my lifetime that God had actually listened to what God had told me to do, you know, in a situation where I thought I'd probably end up getting killed. And the, well, the last one that I'll share with you about over there is that I had three weeks to go in country, and the Marines got pinned at Khe San. If you know where that's the middle ground between North and South Vietnam, they couldn't only get supplied through the air. They, but the, all the roads were taken out. The NVA soldiers had come down and had taken them over, and I was really upset because I should be going home. Because what happens over there, when you hit the three-week lot, you get to get processed. You start moving back down through the places to get back out of the country. And they were, we were short-handed and stuff, and they said, you have to go up north with us, then we'll get you back in a day or two. And I could, if you ever feel like you made it, you made it, you made it, and you can feel it slipping, you know, it's, 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 it's leaving. And then I just, but we got in there and got up north, and of course we had to come in late at night, we were right on the border of Laos, and we dropped in there, and, that, and there's elephant grass that was, oh, it's about 10 foot tall, real heavy, thick blade, blade of grass. We came in with choppers, probably 10 foot tall, right over at the treetop high, just as fast as you can, because you learn to get away from them things, because that's what they're going to take out. You drop down, we start cutting uh, that ridge down to get in that night, and then I heard that uh, familiar sound, and I heard, you know, and I thought... And I'm first thinking, what, what's that? And the next thing I thought, well, it must be the artillery effort calling the marker round, and it doesn't blow up, you know. But it wasn't. It was a marker round, but it was a marker round for a, a, a rocket that the envy, that they were shooting at us, and he marked it on that ridge. And then they, they started pouring them rockets, 16-millimeter rockets on us, and it got bad. By the grace of God, that's the only reason I'm even here today. I, I had two guys that were new in country. They'd been there probably two weeks, you know, and they were behind me and I was out front cutting with a machete and they were cutting on the side of me there. And the hill was real steep and that rocket came in and dropped right behind that last guy on that ridge line there and then it blew and the next thing I knew I found myself in the grass down there about 20 feet low. I didn't have a drop of blood, of my own blood on me, but I had a whole bunch of the, the first guy, he got, he, he got killed outright. Now the guy's arm and leg was just about gone on him and stuff. And I, I'll never forget that because what happened there is that we were trying to get everything taken care of and we had a medic that we had just gotten in and he was there and, and I was hollering for him trying to get him, hollering for the medic to get up there and he was laying there. I found him like in the fetal position on the ground. He was, And I tried to get him, I put the gun to his head, tried to get him to come help me and, and he said, and then I looked at him and I said, I know. But, it was, but I got out of there. That was probably another thing, too, that really preceded me, that when I flew off that chopper that morning from up north and it was headed down there, I'll never forget the look on those guys' faces. There was one of 
they just stared at me because I was leaving. And then I, I looked, I thought to myself, you know, how can a person have two such feelings in your life? One that you want to leave and another one that you want to stay because you know what's going to happen to them, what they're going to go through. But I got... Sorry about that. But anyway, I got back home. If I get, got, got out of the service. I ended up marrying that girl that I, folks I was staying with. We've, we've had, uh, get this counted right, uh, nine grandkids we've got and two great-grandkids. And I got a grand, grandson here now and a great-grandson that's even here today. <laughs> so the uh, Lord has been really good to me. Uh, some of the things you go through in life, you wonder why you have to go through them and stuff, and you do what you do do. So, But God's been a great blessing. I got water baptized, which I was, of course, baptized as a baby being Lutheran, but I ended up getting water baptized when I was 53 years old. If you don't think that was a feeling. Huh? <laughs> well, I mean, all these people, I've been teaching classes and stuff. And here this guy is up here, has been teaching these classes to me, he's getting baptized, you know. And I did, and I got baptized, and then I got baptized with the Spirit uh, over shortly after that, and uh, God has been good. But he continually, in that story, I don't know if you noticed, he, he has to continue with me a lot of times, take things from me in order to get me to go where, he, where I needed to be. Sometimes it's not so good, but it always ends up for the best. Always does so. So I hope you can get something from that. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.